Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We want to thank you for listening to this chapel message. Our mission at Southeastern is to seek to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. We hope that you enjoy this chapel message and that you will visit our website. It's www.sebts.edu. There you can learn more about our school and what the Lord is doing here. We hope you enjoy the message. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing here. I thank you and I ask you to get your Bibles. Let's turn to the book of Psalms, chapter 42 and 43. Psalms 42 and 43. I want us to think today about longing for God. Longing for God. I'll give you a minute to find your place. I take you back in my life to a couple of decades ago, actually. I was in West Africa leading a mission trip with students, and we had been out in the bush, and we were uh, long distanced from our phones, from any kind of Internet access, and we were seemingly in the middle of nowhere. And it was, it was for me the longest time that I had been without an opportunity to talk to Pam or to read an email from Pam. And she and I are accustomed to talking a lot as I travel, and I couldn't hear her voice over the phone. I couldn't read and hear her speaking to me through email. And I missed hearing her say, I love you, and I'm, and I'm praying for you. And it was tough uh, for several days, just longing to hear from my wife. At the end of our trip, I, the students gathered together in a room and we debriefed about what, what we had learned, what the Lord was showing us. And, and the one thing that just kept echoing in my mind was, it was as if the Lord just kept asking me, you know, you know how much you missed Pam when you couldn't talk to her and you couldn't hear from her. You remember how lonely you were missing her. Do you ever miss me like that when you can go days without reading my word, when you pray too little, when you talk to me too little and you listen to me too little? Do you ever, do you ever miss me like that? Do you ever long for me like that? And I think about my Think about my longings. On, on a good day, I long for some things. I long for God to, to reach my mother and my sister and other family members who, who don't know Jesus. Especially as they get older, I long for God to intercept their lives. And I long for God to reach the nations. I long for the gospel to go where the gospel hasn't been. And those are good days, but then there are those bad days when I long for recognition, and I long for popularity, and I long for those selfish things, and God has to pull me back to say, but do you, do you long for me? Do you ever miss me when you don't spend time with me? We go to Psalm 42 and 
43. Psalms about longing. Likely originally just one psalm. You look at Psalm 43, 42, the topics are the same. There's no superscript. There's no title to Psalm 43. The same refrain echoes throughout the psalms. I'll show you that. When we get to enter into the heart of the psalmist, we, we don't know specifically the situation of the writer, but what we do know is that he's somehow separated from the place of worship in Jerusalem, separated from the singing of God's people, going to the, to the temple, and maybe he's in exile, maybe he's fleeing an enemy, and meanwhile, his enemies are saying to him, but where is your God in all of this? So he struggles with a difficult time, even as his enemies are taunting him. And yet at the same time, even as he struggles, he longs for God. So I want us to walk through these chapters together, and I want us to enter into just listening to him speak to us as we watch him long and seek hope and struggle and turn to God back and forth. So look with me at Psalm 42, beginning in verse 1. As a deer longs for flowing streams, so I long for you, God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While all the day long people say to me, where is your God? And then in verse 4, he's expressed his longing in the first three verses. In verse 4, he steps back into yesterday. He remembers a time. I remember this as I pour out my heart how I walked with many, leading the festive procession to the house of God with joyful and thankful shouts. And so he remembers the way it used to be when he could get to the place of worship and sing with God's people. And then in verse 5, we see a refrain that will echo three times in these chapters. And it's as if the psalmist is just talking to himself, having a conversation with himself. And he asks himself, why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Then he reminds himself, put your hope in God, for I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. Then in verse 6, we're back to the struggle. I'm deeply depressed. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and the peaks of Hermon from Mount Mitzar. Deep, calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. Remember that image. All your breakers and your billows have swept over me. So again, he's talking about the, the strain of what he faces in life. And then in verse 8, in the center of these two psalms, there's an interjection of hope. He goes back again to the Lord will send his faithful love by day. His song will be with me in the night, a prayer to the God of my life. And he just interrupts all of this with this sense of hope. And then in verse 9, he struggles again. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about in sorrow because of the enemy's oppression? My adversaries taunt me as if crushing my bones while all day long they say to me, where is your God? 
has this conversation with himself again in verse 11, the refrain, why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. Then we step into Psalm 43, a prayer, continued struggle, vindicate me, God, and champion my cause against an unfaithful nation. Rescue me from the deceitful and unjust person, for you are the God of my refuge. Listen, you're the God of my refuge, he says. And then he asks the question, why have you rejected me? Why must I go about in sorrow because of the enemy's oppression? And there's this cry for return and hope. Send your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to your dwelling place. Let me come back to the place where we worshiped. And then I will come to the altar of God. To God, my greatest joy, I will praise you with the lyre. God, my God. Even as he thinks about this hope of returning, he's back to talking to himself again as he finishes out this song. Why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. Let's pray and ask the Lord just to speak to us. Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you, as always, that we have access to your word all of it in our language, in our hands. I thank you that we can gather in this place and worship you, speak of your word without threat on our lives, and forgive us, God, when we take that for granted. I do pray today, Lord, that if there are those among us who are just wondering where you are, they're wrestling the struggles of life, I pray that we would long for you more than anything. For those of us, God, who used to long more, forgive us. Bring us to the place, God, where we just want you for your glory. In Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, hope you've got a pencil, you've got a pen, you can type some notes into your phone. Here's the first point I want us to consider. Even followers of God face tough times. Even followers of God face tough times. I remind you again, we don't know the specifics of this writer's situation, but I want us to hear how he expresses himself. I want you to see in your mind the picture that he paints. I want you to feel with him the anguish of his soul. And so he, he says in chapter 42, verse 1, my soul just pants for you. And he asks the question in verse 2, when can I see the face of God? In verse 3, he says, I'm consumed with tears. It's as if I can't even eat. And meanwhile, my enemies, they just continue to say, where is your God in all of this? In chapter 6, he says, my soul is cast down. I'm deeply depressed. I have the demeanor of a mourner. My heart is broken. In verse 7, he says that my troubles are like waterfalls. That's why I said I wanted you to see that image. They roar like water, just pounding against water, and they just keep coming over the cliff. And I want you to hear that image 
I want you to hear the water just coming over the cliff. And that's the way the troubles are for the psalmist. They do not stop. Listen to what he hears. Feel what he feels. Verse 10, he says, this, this pain, this pain is in my bones. It is deep-seated. My grandma used to say, this, I can feel it in my bones. It's to the depth of his soul. And these are especially tough times when he remembers the way it used to be. When he can remember, I remember when we went to the temple. I remember when we rejoiced. I can remember the singing. But now I'm, I'm separated from the temple. I can't get there. And meanwhile, my enemies are mocking me. And I'm thirsty, thirsty for God. It's not the first of God's followers who would so struggle, wondering where is God in all of this and what is God up to? Remind you of Moses, stressed recurrently by his people, ultimately saying, God, why have you burdened me with these people? What are you up to here? Or Elijah, pressured by the queen, finally saying, God, I've had enough I'm the only one left that's following you. Or Paul saying that I despaired even unto death. Men of God, faithful followers, facing tough situations they cannot change and they cannot fix. Followers of God face those times. Even believers hear the waterfalls of chaos that seemingly don't stop sometimes. Why? Well, you know what? Sometimes we face these waterfalls because we make really dumb decisions that carry severe consequences. Sometimes we put ourselves there by our choices. Sometimes we face these times just because we're in a fallen world, that the effects of sin messing up all of creation. And until Christ returns, we'll face this reality of fallenness around us. I think there's another reason that sometimes we face these tough times that feel like exile, and that takes us to point number two. Tough times should lead us to thirst for God. Point number two is this. Tough times should lead us to thirst for God. The first point is even followers face tough times. Even followers of God face tough times. But here's number two. These tough times should lead us to thirst for God. Again, let's just let the psalmist speak to us. Go back with me to Psalm 42, verse 1. As the deer longs for flowing streams, so I long for you, God. My soul pants for you. Like the deer seeking water in a time of drought, I want you to sense the dryness of his throat. Even the sense of choking of the throat, longing, longing for something from God. 
And in verse 2, he says it again. I thirst for God. My soul thirsts for you. His despair is so great that we read on in verse 9 of Psalm 42. It says, why have you forgotten me? It's as if God isn't even listening. And even stronger in chapter 43, verse 2, it says, why have you rejected me? Why have you turned your back on me? So he faces some situation beyond his control. He's sought God's help, and at least at this point, God has not yet come through for him. God's apparently taking his time. And it even feels to him like God has forgotten him. And meanwhile, his enemies are saying, then where is your God? It's not even helping you. And you and I face those times too. Times of despair and discouragement and struggle. And while we may not hear from human enemies in front of us, certainly we face a supernatural enemy whose messages we hear in our heart. God obviously doesn't care about you. God's not listening to you. Truth is, there is no God. You're, you're following something that isn't even real. Where is your God? The enemy would ask us. Or sometimes, sometimes the response is just silence. It's not even the enemy taunting us, and it's not the voice of God. It's just eerily silent. What do you do then? What do you do then when you cry out and it's just quiet? We have some options. One is simply to give up on God. It's what the enemies would say. Where is God? He's not there, so why would you follow him? Or the other option is to long for God even more to let that thirst compel us to him, to turn to him in desperation, to recognize that he's still the answer even when he delays his response. It's to come to the place to admit the hole in our heart, a longing, a thirst, not a thirst for an answer, but a thirst for God himself. You see, sometimes God lets the waterfalls of despair pour over us and they pound and they pound and they pound. And sometimes at the same time, God turns off the refreshing water so that we might thirst for him again. And he says, do you miss me like you miss others? Sometimes we just need to thirst again. I was pastoring a church in Ohio many years ago. Pam and I had not been very married very long, and we had a missionary come and speak to our church. And it was a Southern Baptist missionary speaking in our church in December. So you can imagine his topic was Lottie Moon. He's telling us about our Christmas offering. And 
I, I can't tell you the missionary's name. I can't tell you where he served. And it's not because of security. It's just because I don't remember any of that information. What I do remember is this. This man got up. He told us his story. He opened the word, and the power of God just oozed out of him. You could just sense it. And Pam and I took him to lunch that day. We came back to our house, and we were sitting in our living room, and I told him, I said, well, I've had a lot of people speak in our church, and there's just something about the power of God in you. So tell me, tell me your story. He began to tell us that some months before, he just knew something wasn't right, and he encountered a missionary colleague on the field, and a missionary colleague had talked to him about, you know, Sometimes we just have to come to the end of ourselves. And we just have to say, Lord, bring me to that place. Break me if you must. That I might long for you again. And he went on to say, and Chuck, I don't believe that I would be here. And you wouldn't have asked that question unless God wanted to break you. And that was not the answer I wanted. Uh, here's, here's what I wanted. So we had a Sunday morning service and a Sunday night service then. I wanted all the power he had on me by Sunday night and not hurt me. I wanted it all right now and easily. But Pam and I knew we had some praying to do. And so we began to pray, Lord, do what you must. Lord, Break us if you must. And I will tell you, the next several months weren't easy months. God began the process of dislodging us from a church that I, that I deeply loved as their pastor, from security in our mutual jobs and our families living near us. And God began the process of moving us away from that. Now I look back and see God was moving us to exactly where he wanted us to be. But in the time, they were tough hours. I would go to my, my den in the house, I'd open up the Word, and I couldn't even read the Word sitting up. I would take my Bible, and I would put it on the floor, and I would, I would lie in the carpet and open the Word, and God would just unpeel my heart to show me my arrogance, and my selfishness, and my lust. God worked us over. And I'll be honest with you, I, I don't want to do that again. But I'll also tell you, we knew when we prayed, God heard. I knew when I got up to speak God's word that God was going to do something. Because all we wanted was God. God broke us that we might long for him more than anything else. And God does that in the toughest times of our lives. Even followers of God face the tough times. God uses those tough times to make us thirsty. Here's number three, point number three. Thirst is quenched by faith. This thirst is quenched by faith. I want you to see again what the psalmist does. And if we think about this, we have to think again about what faith is. 
You know, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the force of things that we hope for. It's the conviction of things not seen. You know that from Hebrews 11.1. 1. It's not a weak hope. It's not an uninformed trust. It's not wishful thinking. It's not a crutch for weak people. That's not what faith is. Faith is being sure of what we hope for. It's being certain of what we cannot see. It's having confident trust in the God that we cannot see, even when it seems like he isn't listening. So watch what the psalmist does, even as he struggles. We listen to him, and here's what we see. First of all, he just admits his feelings to God. When am I going to see your face again? Why have you forgotten me? Why have you rejected me? I'm, I'm crying all day long and I thirst for you. Where are you? It's not falsely spiritual. I'm not using churchy language. He's not pretending in his response so, so it looks like it's the right thing to do. He just lays his heart out before God. He knows that God is big enough to handle his honesty. And it is right for us in our longing times to say, God, God, I'm wrestling. But then beyond that, here's what he does. He challenges his feelings with faith. His feelings, forsakenness, loneliness, abandonment, forgottenness. God, where are you? These feelings, though, as feelings are, they're fleeting. They're circumstantial. They're changing. Faith is just the opposite. Faith is lasting. It is foundational. It's based on a word that is established forever and Thus the psalmist has this conversation with himself. I mentioned that to you in the refrain three times. Look with me at chapter 42, verse 5, where he says, Why, my soul, are you so dejected? He knows what he's feeling, and now he asks the question, but why am I going there? Why are you in such turmoil? Then so he comes back to, here's what I have to do. Put your hope in God, for I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. Watch what he does even preceding that in verse 4. He says, I remember this as I pour out my heart. As he's thirsty for God, he said, I remember this. I remember how I walked with many. I remember leading the festive procession to the house. I remember leading the parade, and I can hear the echoing voices of God's people singing. I remember when God let all this happen. And so I remember the yesterdays and I wonder today, why am I not trusting him? He will say three times, why am I so dejected? I just need to put my hope in God. In verse 8, he says, the Lord loves me in the daytime. He will let me sing in the night. And then chapter 43 we continue on. He's, he's expressing again. Why must I go about in sorrow? That's verse 2. But then verse 3 says, send your light and your truth. Let them lead me. 
Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to your dwelling place. And verse 4, then I will come to the altar of God, to God my greatest joy. I will praise you with the lyre, God my God. He says, I'm looking forward to the day when I can get back to the place of worship. And I'll praise you. And I'll sing again to God, my greatest joy. So watch what he does. In the midst of his struggle, in the midst of his longing, he looks backward to see the blessings of God in the past. And he looks forward to the day when God's presence and God's promises will be evident. And when he can look backwards to see the hand of God and he can look forward to see the promises of God, all of that gives him a glimmer of hope in the present. It's still a battle, so he has to again, not once, not twice, not th but three times, he has to come back and say, I've got to put my hope in God. It's still a struggle. But his present tense longing is met by God's past tense faithfulness and God's future tense promises. And you just trust him. This day in our longing times, do you remember when God took care of you in the yesterdays of your life? Do you remember when he came through for you? You remember when he paid your bills and you have no idea how? Do you remember when he met a need that he did it in such a way all you can say is God did it? Do you remember the days when you could just trust him? And then you look forward to the promises. And those promises are present tense promises for us. Are you struggling with sin? Listen to the word, 1 John 1, 9. You know this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You need wisdom? In the midst of your drought, you need wisdom? Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. That's James 1, 5. You afraid? Read Hebrews 13. I will never, no, never, not ever leave you. You're worried? Matthew 6, here's what Jesus said. I could read the entirety of the verse, but let me just say where he starts. So don't worry. Then he tells us why not, but he starts, don't worry. You tired? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. You're worried about the Future, Psalm 37, a person's steps are established by the Lord. So you see, here's what we do. When we struggle in these longing times, and we all do, we all face the tough times, and the tough times ought to make us thirsty for God, but here's what we do. We let our thirst be quenched by our faith. We don't live according to our feelings. We live according to our faith. And that faith is built in the Word. 
Trust God's presence so evident in the past and his promises for the future. And even when we wonder where he is today, we still have to come back like the psalmist and say, but why am I so dejected? I've got to put my hope in God again. So that takes us to number four. Fourth point, God is still the answer. God is still the answer. Just look at it again. Psalm 42, verse 1. says, as the deer longs for flowing streams, so I long for you, God. This is not just anybody. This is God. In verse 2, he's the living God. In verse 6, he's my God. He's a personal God. In verse 8, he is the God of my life. In verse 9, I will say to God, my rock. Chapter 43, verse 2, you are the God of my refuge. In verse 4, you are God, my greatest joy. See, the psalmist longs to get to the temple to worship again. But behind that and bigger than all of that, is a thirst for God. So I'm reminded again of God's impressing on my heart. Do you ever miss me like you missed Pam? God's still the answer. He's still our God the God of our refuge. He's still our rock. And we need him desperately. And we must long for him. And in those days for me when I know my longing isn't right, misdirected, sinful, selfish, I remember the psalmist, God, my soul thirsts for you. And I can just imagine, I can just imagine the people going to the temple, this time making their way there, singing this psalm, remembering days of wondering where God is and singing together. I can just hear them raising their voices. I put my hope in God. And they sing perhaps like never before. And I think about that, and I'm reminded of another song. Some of you in this room will recognize this name. Others of you will have to do a YouTube search. The early 40s, 1940s. A singer with a booming baritone voice connected with an upstart evangelist. the late 40s, they met in Charlotte, North Carolina, not far from here, for a crusade. And for the first time, George Beverly Shea sang before Billy Graham spoke. He had written the music to one of the songs for which he is best known. And you can watch the videos when he would, when he would stand before thousands and stand behind the platform 
that was Billy's pulpit, and there that booming voice would just sing out these words, and I have no intention of singing them, so go to YouTube. Here's what he would sing. I'd rather have Jesus. You tell me, then what? Than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hand than to be the king of a vast domain or be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this old world affords today. Here's my question. Can I sing those words with integrity? Can you sing those words with integrity? I'd rather have Jesus than anything. And if not, here must be our prayer. God, give us a hole in our heart that only you can fill. God, make us long for you and remind us that you're still the answer. Pray with me. God, make us long for you. Do what you must to bring us to the place to say all we want is Jesus. Nothing else matters. When we follow him, it doesn't matter where he takes us. It doesn't matter what he demands of us. It doesn't matter what we have to sacrifice. Because all we want is him. Make us long for you, God. In Jesus' name. Thank you again for listening to this chapel message from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you are thinking about theological education on the undergraduate or graduate level, including doctoral studies, we hope that you consider us. If you also find these chapel messages encouraging and a blessing to your walk with Christ, we hope that you will consider financially supporting Southeastern. Our graduates are literally serving the kingdom across this globe, working to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Your gifts will help to train more, and they will serve as a worthwhile investment in God's kingdom. You can find more information about attending Southeastern or supporting us financially at www.sebts.edu. We covet your prayers and trust that God will bless every good work you do for His glory. Thank you for joining us in our chapel services.